Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 59 of The Life of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. April 21. I set out on my journey for New England in order, if it might be the will of God, to recover my health by writing. This proved his final departure from New Jersey. He traveled slowly and arrived among his friends at East Haddam about the beginning of May. There is very little account in his diary of the time that passed from his setting out on his journey to May 10. He speaks of his sometimes finding his heart rejoicing in the glorious perfections of God and longing to live to him, but complains of the unfixedness of his thoughts and their being easily diverted from divine subjects, and cries out of his leanness as testifying against him in the loudest manner. Concerning those diversions which he was obliged to use for his health, he says that he sometimes found he could use diversions with singleness of heart, aiming at the glory of God. But they also found there was a necessity of great care and watchfulness, lest he should lose that spiritual temper of mind in his diversions, and lest they should degenerate into what was merely selfish, without any supreme aim at the glory of God in them. Lord's Day, May 10. I could not but feel some measure of gratitude to God at this time, that he had always disposed me in my ministry to insist on the great doctrines of regeneration, the new creature, faith in Christ, progressive sanctification, supreme love to God, living entirely to the glory of God, being not our own, and the like. God thus helped me to see, in the surest manner from time to time, that these and the like doctrines necessarily connected with them are the only foundation of safety and salvation for perishing sinners, and that those divine dispositions which are consonant hereto are that holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The exercise of these godlike tempers, wherein the soul acts in a kind of concert with God and would be and do everything that is pleasing to him, I saw, would stand by the soul in a dying hour. For God must, I think, deny himself if he cast away his own image, even the soul that is one in desires with himself. Lord's Day, May 17. Spent the forenoon at home, being unable to attend public worship. At this time, God gave me such an affecting sense of my own vileness 
and the exceeding sinfulness of my heart, that there seemed to be nothing but sin and corruption within me. Innumerable evils compassed me about. My want of spirituality and holy living, my neglect of God and living to myself, all the abominations of my heart and life seemed to be open to my view. And I had nothing to say but, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Toward noon, I saw that the grace of God in Christ is infinitely free toward sinners, such sinners as I was. I also saw that God is the supreme good, that in his presence is life. And I began to long to die that I might be with him in a state of freedom from all sin. Oh, how a small glimpse of his excellency refreshed my soul. Oh, how worthy is the blessed God to be loved, adored, and delighted in for himself, for his own divine excellencies. Though I felt much dullness and want of a spirit of prayer this week, yet I had some glimpses of the excellency of divine things, and especially one morning in secret meditation and prayer, the excellency and beauty of holiness as a likeness to the glory of God was so discovered to me that I began to long earnestly to be in that world where holiness dwells in perfection. I seemed to long for this perfect holiness, not so much for the sake of my own happiness, although I saw clearly that this was the greatest, yea, the only happiness of the soul, as that I might please God, live entirely to him, and glorify him to the utmost stretch of my rational powers and capacities. Lord's Day, May 24, at Longmeadow in Massachusetts. Could not but think, as I have often remarked to others, that much more of true religion consists in deep humility, brokenness of heart, and an abasing sense of barrenness and want of grace and holiness than most who are called Christians imagine, especially those who have been esteemed the converts of the late day. Many seem to know of no other religion but elevated joys and affections arising only from some flights of imagination or some suggestion made to their mind of Christ being theirs, God loving them, and the like. On Thursday, May 28, he came from Longmeadow to Northampton, appearing vastly better than, by his account, he had been in the winter. Indeed, so well that he was able to ride 25 miles in a day and to walk half a mile and appeared cheerful and free from melancholy. But yet, he was undoubtedly, at that time, in a confirmed 
incurable consumption, which I believe in my own note is uh, an older word for tuberculosis. I had had much opportunity before this of particular information concerning him from many who were well acquainted with him and had enjoyed a personal interview with him at New Haven near four years before, as has been already mentioned. But now I had opportunity for a more full acquaintance. I found him remarkably sociable, pleasant, and entertaining in his conversation, yet solid, savory, spiritual, and very profitable. He appeared meek, modest, and humble, far from any stiffness, moroseness, or affected singularity in speech or behavior, and seeming to dislike all such things. We enjoyed not only the benefit of his conversation, but had the comfort and advantage of joining with him in family prayer from time to time. His manner of praying was very agreeable, most becoming a worm of the dust and a disciple of Christ, addressing an infinitely great and holy God, the Father of mercies, not with florid expressions or a studied eloquence, not with any intemperate vehemence or indecent boldness. It was at the greatest distance from any appearance of ostentation and from everything that might look as though he meant to recommend himself to those who were about him or set himself off to their acceptance. It was free also from vain repetitions without impertinent excursions or needless multiplying of words. He expressed himself with the strictest propriety, with weight and pungency, and yet what his lips uttered seemed to flow from the fullness of his heart. As deeply impressed with a great and solemn sense of our necessities, unworthiness, and dependence, and of God's infinite greatness, excellency, and sufficiency. Rather than merely from a warm and fruitful brain pouring out good expressions, I know not that I ever heard him so much as ask a blessing or return thanks at table, but there was something remarkable to be observed, both in the matter and manner of the performance. In his prayers, he insisted much on the prosperity of Zion, the advancement of Christ's kingdom in the world, and the flourishing and propagation of religion among the Indians. And he generally made it one petition in his prayer that we might not outlive our usefulness. Lord's Day, May 31, at Northampton. I had little inward sweetness in religion most of the week past, not realizing and beholding spiritually the glory of God and the blessed Redeemer, from whence always arise my comforts and joys in religion, if I have any at all, and if I cannot so behold the excellencies and perfections of God 
as to cause me to rejoice in him for what he is in himself. I have no solid foundation for joy. To rejoice only because I apprehend I have an interest in Christ and shall be finally saved is a poor, mean business indeed. This week, he consulted Dr. Mather at my house concerning his illness, who plainly told him that there were great evidences of his being in a confirmed consumption and that he could give him no encouragement that he would ever recover. But it seemed not to occasion the least discomposure in him, nor to make any manner of alteration as to the cheerfulness and serenity of his mind or the freedom or pleasantness of his conversation. This concludes episode 59 of Jonathan Edwards, The Life of David Brainerd.